So my youngest son is with us today. Many of you know that. I mentioned it for two reasons. One, because they always like to be in the sermon. And, and they, uh, they complain if they're not in it enough. But in two days, he'll be 21 years old. I know. So it kind of reminded me of something that we've always done on their birthdays. It started when they were 13. It started with Andrew, who's, who's now 27. But when they, were, when they turned 13, we started a tradition. And so every year on their birthday or around their birthday, we had what we called a check-in. And it was all based on a goal we had set up of them becoming adults and being able to function as adults on their own without mom and dad so that when they left, they'd be able to handle the world. It included a lot of different things and a lot of different topics, but we did it all the way, and the plan was from 13 to 18. Well, several of the kids have said when they were past 18, hey, can we do a check-in? So Daniel and I did a check-in last week. And we discussed all the things that, uh, that are involved in an adult world, how he's doing, how he's progressing, where he needs to grow, that kind of stuff. And I did that with all the kids. And I did it because it, it was good for them to be reminded of where they need to go to, what they need to become, where they need to wind up in maturity and, and as a functioning adult in the world. It was also, and I, I've never told them this, so maybe this is new information, it was also good for me to be reminded of how I can help them in that process. So it was a double evaluation. I was evaluating them and, and really helping them evaluate themselves. How are we doing in this process? Are we, are we maturing? Are we moving towards adulthood? Can I handle the responsibility? And then I was also evaluating how am I doing leading them down this process. And oftentimes, Teresa and I would talk beforehand or afterwards, and we would change or do something different in order to, to, to progress them along. A lot of times the conversation was, Tracy, you need to let them grow up. You need to let them. Let them suffer a little bit. It's okay. Let them struggle a little bit. They'll be fine. But we, we did that, and we worked through it. Well, today is, is kind of a check-in for the church. It's not our birthday. It's not even my anniversary or anything like that, but it just seemed right. We took a little break from Revelation, and so it's a good time to insert something. It's the new year. You all have perfect attendance. So, I mean, we are, we are on a roll already. And it just seemed like a good time to kind of do a church check-in. So that's what we're going to do today. It's called the past, the present, and the future. We're going to remind ourselves of, of, of the foundation we're built on and what our goals are and, and help us rediscover or discover or remind ourselves of the process it's going to take to get where we want to be. So we bought the property across the street, and that forced us to think a little bit farther ahead than we had in the past. Um, and, and somehow, the, the number 50 came to mind. We're going we're to start thinking 50 years ahead. I don't plan to be here in 50 years. I don't want to, you know, shock anybody with that. In about a month or so, I'll be 55. I've never been that old before. I hear there's a discount somewhere. Very much looking forward to the discount. But I'll be 55 years old, which means in 50 years from now, I'll be almost 105. 
I don't plan to live that long. 103 is my hard limit. Okay? So, so I'll probably be gone by then. I probably won't be the pastor of this church, but you know what? Someone will be. We were talking the other day and, and mentioning how cool it, would it be if some of the young men who are sitting in the church here, even in the back row there, what if one day they were standing up here preaching and leading the church? Maybe some of these little ones that we hear and see and, and, and rejoice in, maybe they're the ones carrying on the ministries. They're the ones making things happen because they've grown up like the song last week. You want to know why I am the way I am? It's a church I grew up in. Well, so we're thinking 50 years down the road. We're thinking of the next group of people, the next, the next pastor or two. We're thinking about future Kathlamet. And, and the idea that, that, that we are laying the groundwork. We're, if we build a church, which that's the plan, build a new church. This one has been here for a hundred years. It served us well. And, and we've fixed it and, and fixed this and fixed that and all this. And, and, you know, sometimes if we all showed up at the same Sunday, if everyone who says they go to this church all showed up the same Sunday, there wouldn't be room for us. And, and one day, there won't be room for those who do show up. And we need to be planning ahead. After you're full is not the time to go find a bigger building. We need to do that ahead of time. So we're, we're looking to the future. And, and God's given us this number of 50 50 years. Look, 50 years down the road. Be thinking 50 years into the future. Think beyond yourself. How old will you be in 50 years? Some of you, that number is unimaginable. <laughs> Where will you be in 50 years? So, we're going to start by looking at the past. In your notes, here's how this is going to work today. I have a lot of scripture in the notes I will only be reading about three passages today because I do not have time to review and go over all these passages. But I've given you more than enough for you to go back and, and check and make sure I'm telling you the truth. Make sure it says what it's supposed to say. Make sure I'm applying it correctly. And I challenge you to do that. Not because I want you to catch me in a mistake, but I want you to go, I want you to be involved in the process. So I can't read all this. It would be a two or three week thing, and we don't have two or three weeks. So we're going to go through this, and, and you, you read the scriptures on your own that we don't cover today. So here's the past. Both Teresa and I, or excuse me, before Teresa and I arrived in 2014, I set these commitments to be non-negotiables of my ministry as a pastor. And then in, in parentheses, he says, good news, our leadership has embraced them as well. Not that they hadn't already, but together we've embraced them. And so I'll tell you a little secret. I had a file on my computer way back in two or three files deep that said, if I'm ever the pastor, colon. That was the name of the file. And I just listed things that I learned as the youth pastor and, and as a board member and all that stuff, things that I thought were super important, that these cannot be, cannot be overlooked, cannot be forgotten, and I included things that I didn't think were being done right, but if they were being done right, would solve problems. And it's an interesting little list. This is basically the list. I mean, there were little other little things on there that per pertain specifically to me. Um, nowhere on there did it say I would wear a tie every week. So some things are new. But 
Here's, here's the list. These are non-negotiables. That means that, that these are hills I'm willing to die on. If you want to fight about these, I will fight you. Okay, this is, this is important stuff. And, and some of it is top-of-the-hill stuff, some of, some of it's middle-of-the-hill stuff, but these are things that are, that are super important. And, and I truly believe that the success that we've seen and found as a church are based on these things. Not that, that we have some formula that guarantees our success, but when we obey God in what he asks, he turns around and he blesses. Okay, when, when we're faithful with what we have, he gives us more to be faithful with. So we can look 50 years down the road, and we can say with confidence, we will grow as a church as long as we don't let go of the things that have made us a church. So he, here are the things that make us a church. These are the non-negotiables. Number one, God's Word is our ultimate authority in any, every, and all area that it speaks. If the Bible talks about it, and you come and tell me that so-and-so said, whether they're a, a medical doctor, a scientific doctor, a theologian, a guy on the street with a bullhorn, no matter who it is, if the Bible says one thing and they say something else, we're going with the Bible. It doesn't matter what it is. We're going with the Bible. If everyone on the planet says, oh, you're wrong, but God says this is right, we're going with the Bible. That is the ultimate non-negotiable. If, if I am forced somehow, and this would never happen, but if I was forced somehow to compromise what God's Word said, if I was like pressured by the deacons and they said, hey, we know this isn't biblical, but we want you to say this because we have a plan, that's when I leave. And if I said that to the deacons, that's when they would leave. It's a two-way street. It's, it's non-negotiable. We ask ourselves, does the Bible give us any instruction on this matter? Does the Bible give us guidelines? How much freedom do we have within the boundaries of Scripture to make decisions and, and have flexibility here? Sometimes it's no flexibility. Sometimes there is some built in. We always ask, what, is, what does God have to say about this? Where, where does the Bible give us instruction? And all those Scriptures, and, and by the way, that was... That was like, I quit because I got to the end of the line. So many more scriptures that talk about the importance of God's word, the power of God's word, the invincibility of God's word, the inspiration of God's word, the illumination of God's word, so much more. But, but that is the thing. I, I, don't, I don't really get that interested in reading people's books because I, I'll just go to the Bible. If they're teaching me what the Bible said, that's great. Let's just go to the Bible. Uh, you know, I love listening to sermons where they preach from the Bible. Don't read me the book that you read and then tell me how you think that fits in with Scripture. Read me the Scripture, and then if you have to, tell me how the book fits. It's, it's the Bible. Bible first, Bible last, Bible all the way through. That's, that's kind of our, our rule as far as Bible studies, small groups, Life groups, everything. The ultimate authority is Scripture. That's the top of the hill. That's the one I will fight you for. That's where I'm willing to die. Okay? And I hope you're all with me. I hope you're encircling me, looking out to see who's attacking, and you're all on board to say, this will not be compromised. That's where we started 
that's where we are, and we could never leave that behind. If we ever leave that behind, then, then we will start regressing, and we will start losing God's blessing. So number two, we will at least mention the gospel and salvation, if not present a gospel opportunity, each and every time the passage we are studying brings it up in context. Now that sounds like a statement like we're going to share the, we're going to we're going to share the gospel a lot. I, I have a couple of pastor friends, and one of them said the other day, "I share the gospel in some way or, or, or fashion every single Sunday." And and he, and he was kind of like, "Hey, you know, this is a good thing. I'm bragging a little bit here, humble brag. This is good." And we all went, "That's great." Um, and and I don't know that he does it inappropriately, but I have heard of situations where. They could be talking about anything in the Bible, and at the end, they stop and then have a gospel presentation. And I don't, I'm not going to do that. This is actually more of a statement of when I'm not going to share the gospel than when I am going to share the gospel. If we're teaching a passage, and it's, it's related to salvation, it's related to eternity, and it talks about uh, sins being forgiven, yeah, we're going to share the gospel. We're going to go there intentionally on Easter and Christmas and maybe a couple of other times. And that's why I tell you in advance, hey, don't forget to bring your friends on Easter and Christmas. They're more likely to come, and we're going to share the gospel. It's going to come out at funerals, sometimes a wedding when requested. But the passage we're going to teach is the passage in front of us. Even in Revelation, we haven't ventured over to Daniel or Ezekiel or Thessalonians. We haven't, we haven't bounced out very much at all, once or twice in the, the entire study so far. Because we're going to study the passage that's in front of us. Keep that in mind when we read number three. Number three, I will not, non-negotiable, I will not do all the work of the church. Even if it's easier just to do it myself. And frankly, it's usually easier to do it myself. I'm here, I have keys, I know what I want, I know where everything is. It's usually easier to do it myself. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. And I do want to read this passage, Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. God gave us leadership in the church. That's all you need to get from that right there today. God gave us leadership in the church, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. Why do we have leaders in the church? To equip the people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we each reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It is much more my job to teach you how to do the work of the ministry than it is to do the work of the ministry. And I have to balance that because I am also one of us and I need to do the work of the ministry and I need to do my part. But if I do your part, I'm robbing you of your opportunity to serve God. 
I'm stealing your opportunity to be blessed for the service that God intended you to do, and I'm stealing the blessing that you're going to receive by serving someone else. So I'm not going to do all the physical labor, which over the years has gotten better because it hurts more when I try. I'm not going to lead every ministry. I, I, don't, I don't meet with everybody. You know, to his glory or his shame, I don't know which, the pastor I grew up with was on every single committee. And he had meetings all the time. That's not me. I'm not going to be on your committee. You have questions, come to me. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll ask the questions. We'll, we'll go through whatever you want. Then you go back and you, you run your ministry. I, I'm not going to let you be in charge unless I trust you. And then, then you go be in charge. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to rob you of that. The flip side is that we have to do that. That's part of what makes a church work. I'm not going to make all the decisions alone and independent. I'm not going to do all the inviting. I'm not going to do all the evangelizing. I'm not going to do all the discipling. I'll do my part. I'll try to do it well. But we're all in this together. Okay? It says we'll have these things so that the, the body can be equipped. Equipped. 1 Peter 4.10 says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So I will not be the guy that does everything. You can't pay me that much because it would be damaging to the church. It would be damaging to the church. Number four, we will do church God's way following the calls, mandates, and relevant examples found in Scripture when it comes to planning our services and our, and our activities. Well, you can look at these scriptures, but we sing because we're instructed to sing. We pray because we're instructed to pray. We, we pray all together corporately because we're, we're called to pray together. We're called to do certain things together and separately. Singing and praying is one of those things. We do communion because as long as you do this, remember what's happening. We're supposed to do it regularly. We talk about and practice evangelism. We talk about and are involved in missions. We collect an offering. We preach the word. We provide fellowship opportunities. We keep track of attendance. And we have leadership. All these things come from Scripture. And so this is why we run the church. This is how we run the church. This is, this is why we do what we do. And so we're going to do it God's way. There may be a funner way to do it. There's a church in England right now. You, you know, their churches are huge. Like their auditorium is, is a footprint the size of our entire facility, maybe even our entire property. But their congregations are in the 20s. And in order to, to, to reach out to people, there's a church in England that literally, and I'm not making this up, literally put in a water slide to attract people to come into the church. And on the first Sunday, the water slide was open. The pastor slid part way down, stopped, gave his message, and then slid the rest of the way down. That would be a funner church service, right? I mean, there's things we could do, but they're not called for in Scripture. This is God's house, His worship service. So we're going to do it His way. There's always fun things to do. There's trends. There's all kinds of trends going. I learned a long time ago, let the trends come and go. Don't bother getting involved, because then you just have a bunch of junk that needs to be stored. 
until the next time it comes around. So that's that. Number five, we will not move forward in any decision until we have unity. This is mainly a board thing, but it's also a church thing. I can tell you that in nine years, the Board of Deacons and I have not moved forward on any topic without unity, without unanimity. There was on there was one occasion where it was like four were like, yeah, this is what God wants us to do, and one was like, I'm not sure. And it was more of a preference. And he said, I'm not going to vote because I don't want to hold this back, and I know this is what God wants. It's just not like I'm having to struggle with it myself. One time in nine years, we move forward on that level of a vote. Every other time, it's been unanimous. Leadership that works together, stands together, without cracks, will build a church that does the same thing. I have believed that, and now I've been able to see it. I believed that if we preach God's word, he'll start bringing people, and he'll start accomplishing things. I believed that, now I've seen that. These, these are the non-negotiables. And I, I say this because we, we need to remember what we're building on. And, and I forget that not all of you know these things. So this is, this is who we are. These are our roots. This is our foundation. So where are we now? The other side of your notes, present. Over the past nine years, our church has grown, and that's a very important word, grown, in faith, love, leadership, and maturity. We have grown a lot. We've grown in so many areas and in so many ways. You have grown personally in so many areas in so many ways. We have developed as a church in so many areas in so many ways. Some examples. Number one, our deacon board seeks God, serves this church, and moves forward in unity. Number two, we are praying for helping others move towards and seeking salvation in the lives of those around us and also those around the world. Number three, our Bible teaching is strong, biblical, and contextual. And I, I, I almost didn't put that in because I don't want you to think I'm talking about my sermons. I am, but that's not what I'm talking about. Our Bible studies... Our youth group lessons, our water group, our Sunday school, and our life groups, they are biblical and contextual. They're sticking to the Bible. And we're, we've grown in that, and we're growing in that. Number four, we're friendly, worshipful, generous, and outgoing. And, and these are things that we're told by others. Okay, if, you know, it's, it's by others. People feel something when they come here. So in the last nine years, we've grown in these areas. Not that we were horrible before, but we've grown, and there's always room to grow, so it's not like we've arrived either. But presently, we're growing in those areas, and those those are really good things. But over these same nine years, continuing your notes, we've been plagued by the same shortcomings. We've been fighting the same battles for nine years. The things that were not working nine years ago, in some respects, are still not working now. And these these have been, we have tried this, and we've tried that, we've adjusted this, adjusted that, but here they are. Midweek discipleship has has never been what it should be. 
Okay? A in your notes, it starts with a bang and ends in a puff of smoke. Every time we start something new, give it a new name, give it a new topic, get a different teacher. When, for a whole year, we had meals before Wednesday night discipleship. Everything we've tried starts with a bang, ends in a puff. By the end of, the end of that year, we were, we were trying to give away more food than was eaten that night. The B in your notes, small percentage of participation, easily conflicted with other events. In other words, not a priority. And there was a lack of willing leaders. So it was Wednesday night Bible study. It was Wednesday night discipleship. It was dinners. It was this, that, and the other. Now it's life groups. Remember I said I was going to twist your arm a little bit? And here comes the twisting part. Now it's life groups. Now it's not a night of the week. It's several nights of the week that you can choose from. We no longer have a lack of willing leaders. Now we have plenty of leaders to lead and they're eager to lead and they're opening up their homes and they're saying come let's do this together not because they're so great or they're going to do something so wonderful but they believe that the bible has something for us and together we can discover it and 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 i'm going to help them so we have leaders now and we have life groups i said there was about 30 people signed up well, spread among five groups, there's plenty of room for more. And if, you're, if you haven't chosen to be a part of a life group, I really encourage you to do that. It is the future as far as midweek discipleship. <laughs> I've said that before, but I mean it this time. Like, it is the future. This is, this is how we're going to do things. And, and if it takes a while to get going, we're going to do it. But if you're not connected, if you're like, well, I don't know anyone well enough to be in the group, guess what the group is for? To get to know people. You're a little bit lonely? Here's a group of people that will know you, pray for you, check on you, be your friends. This, this is the connection point. This is where we believe the large group where I have trouble remembering your name because I see you once a week and we gather in small groups where I know your name, I know your family members' names, I might even know your birthday, I know what kind of dessert you like and don't like, I know whether you drink coffee or not, I know what kind of soda you like, I know what kind of car you drive. I'm getting to know you. And, And that's where those relationships are built. There's, there's a, a, a model that's taking place. It's the Monday morning men's group. And, and just by accident, you know, um, that's become a friendship builder. I get to know people. I get to know the men at the, the Monday morning group. Sometimes we have a deep discussion. Sometimes we don't. But that's what's going to happen in life groups. And I know I'm asking you for another night of your week. I know I'm asking you to drive in the dark part of the year. I know I'm asking you to adjust your dinner schedule one night a week. I know that if you're in Awanas, that's still another night. I, I know all these things. I'm fully aware. I'm still asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do it, and I'm going to explain a little bit more in a little bit, because that's going to help us get where we need to be. So that's the, that's the first area. That's, that's the most glaring to me, because I'm supposed to be leading that part of the church. Second area that we've fought since day one is children's ministry. I don't know who was around when I got here, 
been a while. But in order to attract the pastor, and I think that was actually the language used, like who's going to want to come be the pastor if we don't have Sunday school? So they started a Sunday school. And one class met in this corner, and one class met in that corner, and I think one class met in, in the living room where we were living eventually. And, and those were the classes, and they had curriculum, and they did their thing, and it lasted a whole quarter. And at the end of the quarter, this was what I heard from everybody. Well, I just committed to do it for one quarter, and, and I think I'm going to be done now. Someone else can take over. And you know who took over? Nobody. We didn't have Sunday school. Well, because I'm committed to not doing everything, I said, well, we're not going to have Sunday school until we have people to do Sunday school. And eventually someone stepped up and we started Sunday school again. And it's been going. But here's the problem. Since day one till today, there's always a lack of people willing to serve. There's a lack of people willing to serve. Now, you also have to be qualified, okay? You have to be qualified and willing and able. And, and, and if, you're, if you have a disability or something, be willing to team up with someone else. You have to work with a schedule. You also have to be here. So there are some requirements, but we, we, we always lack people willing to serve. And when we get people that are willing to serve, number two kicks in. We have personality conflicts. And they win the day over forbearance. The Bible calls us to forbear, which is a fancy word for put up with people. God literally says, you need to put up with people that you don't click with because I brought them in. That's what he says. And we need to let forbearance win over personalities. Uh, see, a lot of times we have personal desires, conflict with plans and decisions of those in charge. I want to do it differently. I don't get to do it my way, so I'm not going to do it. That's less, but it flares up every once in a while. And then D, not following through when our prayers are answered. I think that one's a big deal. Not following through when our prayers are answered. We've, we've prayed for kids. We've prayed for families with kids. We've prayed for kids to come to Awanas. We've prayed for kids to come to youth group. We've prayed for kids. We can t- and we're not going to stop, by the way. I'm not anyway endorsing stopping. I will pray every Sunday for families with kids. And I'll pray for families without kids. They're, they're all welcome. We want them all. We're going to take kids and then pray for the families to join them. Okay? That's not where we're going. But when God answered the prayer for kids, we didn't get more people serving. We have, we have always lacked people serving in children's ministry. And here's, here's the beauty of children's ministry. Kids like you. They, they, they like you so much more than anyone else does. They just like people. Kids overlook all kinds of stuff. They just love. They love that you love them. And, and if we had a group working together, that would solve the other problem. We can't have one person. We can't have, we can't have Forrest and Beth here say, oh, I heard your sermon today, Pastor. We're doing children's church from now on. That's not an answer. Because then Forrest and Beth are never in church. It's a team. It takes a team to do this. And so, Alana's is always struggling to have enough people. Children's Church, it's four and younger for a reason. Not because we like five-year-olds more than four-year-olds. 
and we want them to be around us, it's because we don't have staffing for them. You can't just send kids out in a room and say, we'll be back in an hour. Does it work? Right? That's, that's been a problem, and it's still a problem. The third thing is consistent attendance, making Sunday a priority. We have families that don't come to Sunday school, and I'm telling you, if you have kids, they need to be in Sunday school. I'm just going to be that bold. I'm going to be that blunt. Uh, a half-weight Sunday school is, is better than them not being there. And we have a good Sunday school. We have committed people that are doing a good job. You need all the help you can get. Have you watched the news? Are, are, you, are you fully disengaged and have no idea what's going on in the world around you? You can be the perfect parent. And you still need to have your kids in Sunday school. And you know what that frees you up to do? Either serve or come into the adult class. And I'm going to make the adult class so boring you'll want to serve. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> B, church is not high enough priority to bring about a no thank you to the invites. You know, let me, let me step on a toe here and there. Just stick them out there. I'll get all of you. Like, church has to be a priority. When, when you know church is a priority, it's when you're on vacation, and you're not happy unless you find a church to go to while you're on vacation. That's the proper level of priority for church. When you say, I can't be in my church, so I'm going to go find another church, and I'm going to get online, and I'm going to research it, and I'm going to go to a good church, and I'm going to hear a good sermon. That's, that's when it's a high enough priority. And so when you get there, you can pat yourself on the back. I'll pat you on the back. That's where you need to be. Do you know, see, attendance has ranged from 47 to 98 in 2023. That's been our range. And what always gets me is we'll have a Sunday be like 80, 85 people. And I go, man, this is great. The trend is back up. Oh, it's so nice to see everybody. The next Sunday, 51. And I mope around for three days. Where is everybody? I, that's my problem. Okay, I'll, I'll deal with that. But literally, we should be between 75 and 85 people every single Sunday simply based on the number of people that call this their church. Is children's ministry important? Yes, it is. Is it important to you? I don't have any kids. My kids are all grown up. I don't need to worry about that. Is it important to you? Yes, it is. You want to know why? Because I've been told that there are three families this last year came to our church and would have stayed if there was somewhere for their kids to go during the service, partway through the service. Okay? And, and you can say, well, they need to be better parents. Well, maybe they do. But you know what? That's not our job. It's not our job to tell them that. It's not our job to think that. It's our job to welcome them in, say, we're glad you're here, and we want to serve your family. We want to serve your family the best we can. They will grow. They will learn. You all did. Most of you were awkward and weird when you got here. Okay? Some of us still are. 
but we've just got to grow into a family. Let them come in being awkward and weird. Let their kids make noise. Let them have children's church. It's important to all of us. Okay? Beating the dead horse. Move on, Dave. Okay, I will. <laughs> Midweek discipleship, children's ministry, and consistent attendance have, have been our Achilles. And, and we will continue to try to solve that. Okay? Here's the future. If, if we are to move forward as a church, and we're definitely called by God to move forward as a church, we do not get the privilege to stop and rest. We do, however, continually strive to move forward, seeking God's will and doing His work. And I want to read this one. Hebrews 12, 1-3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Get rid of the stuff that's in the way. Whatever it is, if you can't come on Sunday because of a bowling league, change leagues or stop bowling. Okay? I know none of you bowl, so I can say that boldly. <laughs> right? Figure out what it is that, that, that gets in the way of you being in church and solve that problem. And I know some of you have tremendous problems that keep you from work, or keep you from church, like work. And, and we have to work with that. But that's not that many of us. Throw off everything that hinders. Throw, throw off the distractions. Throw off the things that don't matter in eternity. The sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, not giving up. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Then at the end it says, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. That's where we need to be. Now, you think you're done? You're not. Get your little purple piece of paper out. Let's look at that chart. I've had so much fun making charts this year. I'm a chart man now. I want to put this in perspective, and I want to go through this. This is not perfect. It's not end-all. It's not all-encompassing. It's, it's just a bunch of thoughts put on a chart. Okay? But we're going to go with it. So we'll start at the bottom of that giant arrow. It says, the church will only be successful if its people are moving in this direction. We haven't talked about attendance goals. We haven't talked about giving goals. We haven't talked about facility goals. We haven't talked about new ministry goals. Because those things will take care of themselves if we're doing this. That's what I'm trying to present to you. If we want to grow as a church, if we want to be the church God has for us in 50 years, then this is what we concentrate on. Not what color the building's going to be, or if we're going to have pews or chairs, or what kind of lights are going to be in it, or is there going to be green grass or pavement. None of that stuff is the important stuff. That will all take care of itself. This is the important stuff. So the first box there on the left, on top it says spectator. Stole that from Jacob. Thank you for letting me have that. Underneath the box, this is everyone starts here. Every single person who ever walked in the door of this church, including Teresa and I, the first time we came, were spectators. We came to see what it's all about. Who are these people? Are they genuine? Are they loving and kind? What do they believe? Do they practice it? We're all spectators. These are church seekers. I'm looking for a church I fit in with. I'm looking for a church that shares my non-negotiables. They're faith seekers. My life is not working out like I thought it would, and it's definitely not working out like it should. I need help. I'm going to try this religion thing. 
I'm going to see if God can help me. So we have faith seekers, church seekers, faith seekers, newly saved, young in their faith. These are spectators. They're figuring it out. They're watching, observing, practicing, mimicking. What's, what's this Christian life all about? By nature, there's sporadic attendance in this group. They're here a week or two, they're not here a week or two. They're here for a month, they missed two Sundays. They're gone for three weeks, they're here for a Sunday. It, it's always a mystery whether they're going to be here or not. They're sporadic in their attendance for a variety of reasons. And their decisions are all driven by what I want. Is my desire being met? Does it work in my schedule? Did I get a better offer? Uh, did he step on my toes? Um, what I want. And I'd like to say we all started here because we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be poo-pooing on these people. We should be saying, I'm glad you're here. We need spectators. We need people to come in to see what we're all about, to see if this is the church they want to be a part in. We need people to come in, sit in the back, be the last ones here and the first ones out, because they just want to watch some Christians and see what they're like. We need those people. We need people that are going to ask dumb questions, for which turn out to be really good questions, because we forgot to ask them or forgot that we asked them in the past. We need spectators. But you can't stay a spectator. If you, if you stay a spectator, you're not growing. You're not moving forward. And a church full of spectators will become stagnant because no one's growing and no one's moving forward. So we have to move into the next group. It's a larger box. It should be the majority of our people. And the first thing is you're saved. You can't move into group number two. You can't be a participant unless you're saved. If you're not saved, you're a seeker of some sort. And you should not try to move until you're saved. That's the first thing that happens. You hear the gospel, you respond to it, you're saved, your sins are forgiven. To be a participant, you need to be a regular attender. That's a, that's a church word. We use it. You was, we have members and regular attenders. You, you, you get to be in that category of regular attender because you're not a member yet, but you come all the time. Like, you're here enough that, that we kind of look for you. We kind of count on you being here. You're, you're part of the group. You're on the email list. We will let you in on the private Facebook page to see the prayer requests. You get, you get all that inside information. You're a regular attender. A participant will serve faithfully. They're going to be doing something at all times. Uh, they're, they're not afraid to get involved. They're going to sacrifice a little bit of time, this, that, and the other. When they see a need, they say, is this for me? They even do things that are outside of their comfort zone. Consistent attendance, again, regular attender kind of thing, but they're consistent. They're involved consistently. They faithfully give. You know, I, I love preaching on money here because you guys have been faithful and we're not lacking funds. I never have to say, oh, by the way, we need a big offering this week. Never had to say that. And I don't plan on ever having to say it. God has given me the privilege of teaching about money and giving and finances when it's simply in your court. But a participant will give faithfully. They're going to set up their PayPal. They're going to write their check once a month. It's in their budget. It's planned. They're going to be giving because they want to see the church not just survive, but thrive. They want to be a part of it. It's an investment they're making. They will, they will be being discipled. They will be under someone's teaching. They will be doing something besides just coming to church to grow spiritually. Their decisions are driven by how can I be a part 
Oh, this is what we're doing? How can I be a part? Oh, we have a special occasion coming up. How can I be a part? Whoa, that ministry is suffering? How can I be a part? And it's going to be different answers for different people. Some part is going to be prayer. Some part may be providing resources. Some part will be physically being involved. But they're going to ask the question, how can I be a part? Below the box, it says within the first three years, everyone should be here or moving here rapidly. If you've been here three years and you're still a spectator, something's not right. Something's not right. You're not, you're not moving as fast as you should be moving. Some people move from spectator to participant in like a week and a half. Because they come in already spiritually mature. They identify and see what they want to be a part of. And they're like, yeah, this is a church I want to be a part of. And immediately become a regular attender. And immediately start participating. That's a good thing. There's no set time for you to be a spectator and then graduate to be a participant. You have to move there. And sometimes it involves a decision. Like, you know what? I heard Pastor talk today. He whined a little bit, but he had a few good points. And, and I feel like I've been too much of a spectator, and I want to be a participant. And you need to sit down and go, here's what I'm going to do about that. I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to make these commitments so that I'm a participant. And then the third group is a smaller group, because not everyone's going to get there, although it, it is a goal. The third group is the player coach. Okay, so you're not just participating, you're also helping others along the way. You definitely have to be a member to be a part of this group. You're, you're involved in making decisions, you have the privilege of membership, which means you get to vote, you have uh, teaching privileges sometimes, you're, you're on board, you're fully committed, that's what's going on. You serve without a spotlight. That means you don't care who's watching, you don't care if you're noticed. Matter of fact, you'd probably rather not be noticed when you're serving. I would, I'd rather come in here on a Thursday when no one's around to get this done than have everybody see me do it later. I, I'm just going to serve behind the scenes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up every Monday night and, and do whatever I'm asked, and, and I don't need to be recognized. These are the people that actually get angry with me when I try to publicly say thank you. I think I'm doing a wonderful thing saying thank you, and they're like, if you do that again, I quit. Okay, I got the message. Their, their consistent participation, giving generously, not just regularly, but generously. They're like saying, hey, can I give more? Can I, can I, can I, will this make a difference? I want to do this. They're discipling others. They're involved in helping others grow. They're managing resources. Like, like they're so much a part of things that, that they, they actually get to, handle the resources and make decisions and do things at the church, here's, here's what drives them. They're striving for church excellence. I know how to make it better, and that's what I'm going to do. These people get involved in ministries that aren't their thing because they need to be done, and they look for people to replace them as they teach them how to do it. Underneath that box, spiritual maturity will eventually move almost everyone into this category. This is the goal. This is the end game. But that arrow keeps on moving because we're never all where we're supposed to be until we're with Christ. So here's the deal. As a church, if we want to go where God wants us to go and be there in 50 years, this is what we have to do. We have to be moving from spectator to participant 
to play or coach. As spectators move on, they make room for someone else. As more people are investing in others, more people are being discipled. That's how the church grows. That's how we do it. So we have to figure out how to move in that direction. Just like my 13-year-old children, awkward, oblivious, clueless to everything around them, had to learn how to, how to handle life on their own without mom and dad. They had to do that so they could become somebody and, 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 and be mature and be a productive part of the world. We have to do this. This is called sanctification. This process of moving forward is called sanctification. We have to do it. So, the past never stops. Those non-negotiables will never be negotiated. The present, there will always be problems. We'll have to identify them. We'll have to work on them. The, pre- the, the future is always before us. God always has more for us. And, and here's my last commitment as a pastor. I'm never going to be satisfied with the status quo. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think it's what God wants. God never said, when you get here, take a break and rest. He said, he said run to the finish line. Run like you're going to win. Get there. When we're with Christ, things will change. But even then, I think there's going to be some growth taking place. So we're, we're, we never get to stop. The, the arrow is always in front of us. And as a church, we're going to chase the arrow. We're going to do it God's way. And we're going to let him be in charge. But that's where we're heading. So I hope that was helpful. I thoroughly enjoyed today's sermon. I might even listen to it again tomorrow. <laughs> Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these dear people who are willing to stay and listen extra long sermon today. Bless them through the day. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. Guide us. Motivate us. Work on our hearts and our minds. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.